0: or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N-Guitars.com
1: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Everything is Personal. And today we have a special guest for us. Mr. Daniele Bolelli Your name kind of rhymes, right? <laughs> but uh, let, me, let me introduce you properly Because I, I kind of stopped myself So he's a writer He's a martial artist He's a university professor And a world famous podcaster
2: Th- Did I miss anything? Uh, you know, save the world occasionally And uh, most incredible Latin lover on the planet You know, that kind of stuff well, there you go. You just filled in the gap. Good, good. I, I, I hear a trace
1: of an accent, just a slight trace. So, is that, are you not from uh, the
2: U.S.? Were you not born here? No such a thing. What accent? What are you talking about? It's, it's, I'm hearing things. Then. <laughs> it's a me, Mario. No, <laughs> yeah, I just have a tad of an Italian accent, that even though I've been living in the U.S. by now for 30 years, my accent is never going away.
1: Well, how old were you when you uh, came here 18 18 yeah that's hard to get rid of cuz if my ex-wife came here when she was 14 and she still has an accent mm-hmm. you know, I, yeah, I i mean, was born i was born in lithuania right and i came when i was 6 so i don't i don't really have an accent just a Philly accent
2: yeah it's weird some people i don't know some people are much better at uh, hearing it and correcting it than others i just I'm awful at that stuff. Sometimes, even other people, I hear some people who are like, "Man, did you get that guy's accent?" I'm like, "What accent?" And I'm like,
1: oh. <laughs> no, but Italian accent flows beautifully. It's like some accents are really harsh. Right. Like you're, this. This one kind of rings well. It's like a like a song almost. It's got this really nice tone to
2: it. I'm glad that my butchering of the English language works out.
1: So, where in Italy were you? Uh, were you, Were you born? where did you grow up? Milan. So up in the north. Got it. And then, uh, what got you? So you were in Italy. You were going to school there. And did you have an inkling? Like, what did you want to do? How did you come up with this? I want to. I want to write books. Or how did you even get started in that?
2: Um, well, I mean, my dad wrote books. My mom wrote. It was kind of like almost like why wouldn't you? Because I grew up in an environment that was very writer friendly. He was. Kind of what people around me did. So it seemed like uh, this is just how you express yourself. So it came sort of natural in that sense.
1: Was there, that, do you have any brothers or sisters? Do you have siblings?
2: No, Does me. Oh. Also, also, yeah, you spend a bunch of time by yourself. So, you know, you'll find ways to entertain yourself. Yeah, I'm play. an only child too. So
1: I definitely can relate to that. Yeah. um So was there a certain, did you go to school like Keep in mind that I want to write, or were you thinking something else and writing was just aside.
2: I mean, it's one of the things that you never know, because writing is never an easy path to take to make a living on. It's like, I'm good at this, and I can do it well, but who knows? And it's going to be part of something that I will do, but who knows exactly how? You know, not necessarily like, oh, I'm going to start writing Harry Potter tomorrow and make millions of dollars, because nobody you can't count on that stuff. You know, it's like, it's kind of a lot that you're writing for a living, uh, especially when it comes to books.
1: Yeah. So did you, uh, uh, did you then go to school for
2: uh, history or what what was it? I started out, I did uh, anthropology, but I didn't like it. I was like, eh, not that crazy about it. So, and I ended up then doing a master in history, um, which Felt a little more, you know. It wasn't like super creative or anything, but I was like, you know, it's cool. It's not really supposed to be super creative. I'm just cool getting. At least it speaks my language. It's something that I relate to that I'm interested in, so I can I can work with it.
1: So you're interested in history growing up? My probably you know, growing up in Italy, there's a tremendous amount of history, obviously. Uh, European history, a lot of different things. Is that was that what you were drawn to?
2: No, I hated it because it was everywhere around me. Right, so it's kind of a thing that you want the stuff that's not in front of you. So I was interested in everything else. If anything, is after I moved to US, I started looking at Italian history with different eyes and being actually interested in it. Yeah, f- when it was uh, right next to me, I was like, nah, yeah. I, f- I find
1: it fascinating because. And I- I'll skip ahead because I have questions chronologically, but some popped in my head. You got interested in Native American uh, studies and history. So I, I find it fascinating.
2: How did you kind of gravitate towards that? That's a good question. I don't know the answer because you were so early in the game that I do not, who the hell knows what happened? Did I see a comic book that caught my attention? Did I, I have no idea. I thought it was something
1: like a peyote episode or something like that, that you're like, oh,
2: maybe, right? My (laughs) dreams, something up there that told me. No, I honestly don't know because it's really before I can remember. So we're talking about I must have been a tiny kid when something caught my attention. And has been there ever since. So, yeah, I mean, it, in some sense, it's a little weird because yeah, I've been one of the. I've been teaching for twenty plus years in an American Indian Studies department, which is not the most common thing because typically people who teach in an ethnic studies department they are from that particular ethnic group. And they, not my case, but um, but yeah, has been very much part of the stuff I read, studied, lived, uh, and everything else. So
1: who life. who takes this class? Are they are they interested? Is it like a, a history class or is it just cultural? Like I'm really I'm fascinated about Native American history as well, so I'm just curious.
2: I've taught all sort. I mean, right now I'm mainly doing history, but I've taught, in American Indian studies, I've taught all sort of stuff from uh, American Indian philosophies to intro to uh, american indians in cinema to you name it i've taught just about every class you can think of in uh, in that general area have
1: uh, you gotten some pushback about the name american indian uh, class because it's native american and they're not indian supposedly that's
2: uh, no. but, um i mean it's one of the things that uh I mean you want to yeah it's always a good idea to clarify on day one that's like all these are made up terms none of them like if you want to be technical if you want to be precise you call people by whatever tribal nation they are from somebody's Lakota or Hopi or whatever the hell right Uh, once you generalize and you are slapping this made-up name on a collective identity Pretty much it's everybody's taste, right? Some people like one better than the other. As long as you don't use anything that's uh, explicitly offensive, that's clearly as a racist undertone. The others is, you know, you're trying to read your room and figure out who likes what, but they are all made up at the end of the day because there was no such an identity before. So, you know... Many people use Native, Native American, Indigenous people. In Canada, those First Nations is, uh, but you know, to be real, like a lot of Native folks I know among each other, everybody just use Indian, not well, even America. That's, that's interesting. In- uh,
1: like, yeah. you know, they changed Columbus Day to Indigenous yeah. People Day. And I was like, well, it's not the same holiday, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, there's Indigenous people we celebrate, but Columbus that wasn't anything to do with that. I thought maybe, you know, history changed itself in some way.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think what happened is that before there was very much sort of the celebrate Columbus was sort of the symbol of uh, beginning of uh, Western colonization in the Americas, which sounded cool prior to a lot of people saying, yeah, colonization also means they are conquering a bunch of people squashing their way of life. And, and then he was like, oh, shit, yeah, it turns out he wasn't such a nice guy. Maybe let's rethink it. Yeah. And then it became more of a celebration of uh, indigenous cultures, essentially of resistance to colonization for 500 years.
1: It, it, it's funny that you say that because I don't think there's any explorer that wasn't a conqueror, that wasn't you know, coming into an area and taking over land. I mean, that's what happened in New Worlds.
2: Yeah it kind of goes with the job description that you have to be a dick. Of course there are different levels but still on the other hand you know it's interesting. I'm doing um, I'm doing a research right now about this guy from the early 1600s Thomas Morton and it's a creepy story because of course he was still colonizing but He essentially, what happened, what made his story fun is that he sets up shop just down the road from Plymouth Rock. So, you know, you have the pilgrims, uh, Puritans who come in and start setting up uh, their homes in what will become New England. And Morton arrives, starts his own village, and he makes great alliances with the local tribes. He's for full religious freedom. He gets rid of indentured servitude um it started becoming like um 1600s a happy happy paradise they have like drunken orgies on a regular day um and it sounds like such a different approach to colonization such a friendlier one that it kind of makes you wonder what would have happened and this model being the more dominant one right there because of course what happened is that the puritans decided Hell no, we can't have this guy as our neighbor. So they went to just armed with guns to close down the shop. But uh, it sort of makes you wonder, like, what if, what would it have been like if the model had prevailed? I mean, at the end of the day, you're still talking colonization, but it may have happened under very different circumstances.
1: That's an interesting point. Um, You wrote On the Warrior's Path uh, Uh when you were really young sort of what prompted you to write that? And then how did it feel to have like, you're, you're in your early 20s, right? When you wrote that. So how did it feel like you were talking about writing may not be a career path, but when you actually did that and you had some success with it, like did it kind of frame everything differently for you?
2: I mean, um, I had a blast. It was great to have a book out there that people enjoyed and like when I was still very young. It's, it still wasn't one of the things where, you know, you see any real money or anything. So it's not that it translates into, oh, career or something that you can make a living on or something like that, you know? Um, I mean, it actually worked out fairly well as far as books go. Most books don't really make much of anything. That one worked out, but that worked out over 20 some years, you know? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's like little detail here and it continues to yeah. sell, but, you Ten know. Ten years goes by thing.
1: and then like, we're going to translate into Russian. All right, 10 more years, yeah. Sorry, i got to do another language. Oh,
2: yeah, exactly. Yeah, pretty too much. That's funny.
1: Um, so you also have some interest in religion and theology, right? Uh, how did you develop an interest in that? Was it a personal interest or just kind of going through part of history and seeing how different religions act towards one another and, and wars have started over these beliefs and stuff?
2: I think... Uh... I think everybody, to one degree or another, understand that what we think or the ideas that we put in our head make a huge impact on how we perceive the world, how we behave, how we not even just as big historical forces, even just on individual lives. And so to me, whether you want to go into the quote-unquote religions per se or talk about philosophies or somewhere in between it's fascinating because ultimately the ideas we put in our head will shape the way we'll uh, relate to everything around us so i'm interested in that factor in what ideas I seem to what ideas I seem to lead where you know all these ideas Now, it's not a deterministic thing that because you have this one idea, it means you will end up with this behavior. But if 80% of the time it works out that way, there's clearly a tendency toward that. So, for example, if people, doesn't even matter if you're talking about religious or philosophy, but if people believe that there's only one right way, that that's the way, and so everything else by default must be wrong, It kind of sets you up for a mindset that's much more conflict-driven than one that says uh, there's more than one way. doesn't mean all ways are good, but there are several ways that can contribute and touch on some aspects of the truth. That second approach makes you, by nature, more interested in dialogue, in comparing things, in trying to figure out what works and what doesn't. The one-way approach... It's inevitably conflict-driven because if you already know that there's one truth, one path to it, and you have it, well, you don't really need to know anything what does somebody else believe because you already know they are wrong. So throughout history, I've seen it work out through a whole series of holy wars. Political is the same thing when you see things like even political ideologies that have completely gotten rid of uh, religion. But if you look at like communism, works the same way. You know, it's still. the one particular ideological approach and you need to squash other approaches the way it worked out so you know it's bigger than just religion itself it's a mindset that says there's one so i'm interested in things like that or you know how people relate to natural resources and the earth some approaches have led to tremendous environmental destruction others not so much um so that's kind of what interests me, like how certain ideas play out in the physical world. Is there a certain theology or or, or belief system
1: that you've seen throughout the world that actually is, is that type of a conflict-driven theology all the way through versus here are some other examples that are more uh, like indigenous or uh, as you said, American Indian, are they more open versus x or whoever else
2: i mean generally speaking and again we are generalizing because there's tremendous difference in any single religion there's i mean that's kind of one of my standard thing on day one when i teach classes on this stuff is i mentioned take uh, christianity is the most popular religion in the world in terms of numbers take any issue in the universe there are going to be Christians who are on one side and Christians on the other. There are liberal Christians and conservative Christians. There are gay Christians and Christians that think homosexuality is the ultimate evil. And what I usually tell them is the only thing they all have in common is they all think Jesus is cool. That's it. That's where it ends. So anything somebody say when it's like Christianity is or Christians are is a joke because there's so much variation within that, so I think as long as we understand that we use words in a very over-generalized way, then we can use it because ultimately we are trying to draw some conclusions more general about things. But still, it, it, there are plenty of exceptions to everything we say. But having said that, I think as a tendency, all the monotheistic Abrahamic religions are have all been more conflict-driven. You know, that just... Uh, so it's kind of like not a surprise when you look at popularity, the fact that uh, uh, what are the two biggest religions in the world, Christianity and Islam, um, how did they get their popularity, you know, or, or rather the other, it's what seems like an unrelated question is which religions have the most warfare associated with their history, it's Christianity and Islam. Oh, I wonder what the connection may be. You know, it's like most people in the world did not convert because somebody knock on their door saying, hey, isn't this a great idea? Most people in the world convert because somebody showed up with a sword saying, say, I'm going to chop off your head and everybody in your family, unless you guys convert. And you say, I've wanted nothing but believing whatever you believe. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, like, like the crusades or something
1: that, in, you know, they'll yeah. convert, torture you, but, or, or lie or, or, or leave kind of thing.
0: Yeah.
2: Both both Christianity and Islam have in their history a ton of stuff like that, of uh, forced conversions, of not really allowing choices. Of There has been plenty of that. Where do you lecture currently? Um, Santa Monica College, uh, Cal State Long Beach. I taught at UCLA, not anymore. I've taught at Saddleback College, not anymore. So um, around Southern California.
1: So I'm curious about your interest in martial arts. Uh, how did you get interested in martial arts in the first place? As I'm, I'm assuming, as a student of martial arts first, correct?
2: Yeah, I think as a you know as a kid, everybody. I don't know if they still do. They shoot. If they don't, everybody watches Bruce Lee movies, and uh, and he was awesome. You know, so everybody gets that. Like, oh shit, I want to be like that. Because ultimately it represents this dream of empowerment, of feeling that you don't have to be scared, you don't have to be intimidated. There's a, So that's kind of what a lot of people get into martial arts for, because it promises that. And um, and so as I, was, I, I didn't start until a lot later. I always had too much stuff to do too many things so I wasn't sure I could commit and it was dumb. I should have done it anyway, but, uh, I started training when I was 17. And what did you train in first? Um, I started with a bunch of the first few years were all, a bunch of Chinese martial arts. And then I started gravitating more toward combat sports. And, uh, these days in particular is primarily grappling because, uh, striking combat sports, they get old after a while. It's, you know. You don't feel like getting punched in the head no more. So grappling makes it a little easier. Still, you know, you get injured by they are. Uh, it's not your brain; it's uh, limbs yeah. that get injured. It's not your brain. That's a, that's a
1: really mm-hmm. good point. So, when you started, did you have in mind that you wanted to actually, uh, you know, do this professionally? Was that was that something that you, you wanted to get in the ring and just actually go into like i want to be in a ufc fighter or was it just more of a i want to work out
2: no i mean never mind that when i started i didn't even exist because i started i was uh let's see how 17 so it must have been 91 it was actually a couple of years before ufc even came out to begin with um, and then um, no, it was more like uh, I really enjoy training. It feels good on my body. Feels good mentally. Uh, I find it a very relaxing practice, and um, and so it just became kind of part of my life. I mean, you know, you brought up Bruce Lee, and
1: you know, the the podcast that you did on uh, uh, on Bruce Lee. Uh, I want to, I want a to kind of go in order, but I'm just just because you brought it up, sure. it's fantastic. I mean, the amount of detail that you go into, but also make it so informative and entertaining and interesting. It's 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 an, an amazing thing to be able to connect to. So I really I really really enjoyed uh, you know that that podcast that you did. But before you did and uh, History on Fire, you did the Drunken Taoist first, right? Did that come first? So, so tell me, like, what, was, what was the impetus for actually doing a podcast in the first place? People bug me. No,
2: because, <laughs> uh, no, because um, uh, what ended up happening was at the end of 2011 because of a book I wrote and because of the universe working in very strange ways, because there really was no good reason for that to happen. But I ended up on Rogan's podcast at the time when I had no idea what podcasts were. So it was kind of like, I think it was the first podcast. I was either that or Adam Carolla that I ended up first, and then it was the other one within two. How did they find you? Um, I had uh, this um, this friend named Matt Staggs who uh, was working with this publisher that had just printed this book of mine, and so was just trying to get my name out there. And I don't know what the hell, maybe maybe he had compromising pictures with all those people or something. But somehow he got me on the shows, which was nuts because it was a very long shot. And, um, and yeah, so I found myself on Rogan's podcast, not really knowing what podcasts are, but like, I was like, well, cool. Let's play. Let's chat. Went well. Rogan liked me. His audience liked me. So we were, um, then he called me on again and again. I ended up being like, I think nine times on his show. Not anymore. <laughs> it's been a while, quite a while. I don't think I'm quite in the targets, both for the audience and kind of where the podcast is going. But, you know, I used to be a lot in the early days. And um, and so, of course, I started getting a ton of attention from people because, you know, even back then, which was a fraction of what it is today, he still had a huge uh, listenership. So I started getting a bunch of messages from people saying, hey, why don't you start your own podcast? And i hostile to change and you know naturally my answer is always oh no let's not add new things let's not but um but i enough, enough people pushing that at some point i think on facebook i almost to get people off my back i was like you know what? sure i'll do it if somebody if i don't have to learn anything and somebody hooks me up by doing all the editing recording putting it online and, and within five minutes i had you know Achievers was like, I'm a film editor in Culver City. All I did the whole thing. Uh, and Culver was like, uh, I'll put on the website. And so I was like, ah, oh, shit, I guess I'm doing a podcast.
1: <laughs> but, like, what was the what was the goal with it? Drunken Talos? Like, what does it say? What were you trying to achieve? Were there, or was it was just like, it's a conversation. I'm just talking.
2: Yeah, Drunken taoist and I think that's a difference because um, History on Fire, which I started uh, in end of 2015 whereas Drunken Taoist was 2012. The difference was uh, uh, History on Fire is for people who are into history are gonna find me because they look into history they see some podcasts that are highly rated and they'll then find me but they are not looking for me. Drunken Taoist is usually people looking for me so because it's not in any one topic it's not about everything and nothing and whatever there's loosely taoist philosophy as a running theme, just because that's part of how i view life but the topics change all the time so whoever listened to one episode may not necessarily listen to the next and vice versa depending on topic so so
1: how did you come up with history on fire i mean i heard i heard it before how you get the name and all that stuff yeah but you know my audience maybe hasn't heard that so You can tell the story. I
2: think it was uh, kind of a natural thing after a while because I was already podcasting. I was teaching history for a living. Uh, One of my favorite podcasts of all was Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. So I was like, oh, I kind of do this already in my day-to-day life. I might as well do a deeper dive in some topics and record. Of course, I underestimated how much time and energy it takes because it's insane. You know, it's not an interview, chatty podcast where you it's just brutal research where you have to read hundreds and hundreds of pages before you can even get started on an episode. So it takes a long time from the time I said I would do it to when I actually got the first episode out, it took me like a year and a half of working. It's not even work, like actually doing work. And, um, but then I had a blast because, you know, it allows me to touch on any topic. I feel like anything that's epic and exciting that, I like in history. I study like a madman until I feel that I know the topic like the back of my hand, and then I get to tell it, hopefully in a way that's more entertaining than the stuff I've read, which is usually fairly dry when you look at history books. So, so that's basically the rest. Yeah, I, it. I
1: prefer getting my history from you versus uh, you know reading history books because, as you said, it's much drier, and you have. Not only your delivery, but the way that you, the way you convey the information, is not only informative, but it's also there's a there's an there's a narrative to it and a commentary to it that's entertaining as well. So it's not like I'm getting history. Like I, I'm just using the Bruce Lee one because that's that's the one that I really really well uh, dove deep into. So yes, you have a linear history of his life all the way through with characters that are coming in and out but you also give a really nice uh, commentary around it, which is like, it's color, right? So you're doing the play-by-play and color at the same time. Uh, that would be the analogy I would I would use. So really, really enjoyed. How do you come up with your topics for those?
2: I think there are so many that I've run into by you know, reading articles online, stuff that I studied in school, stuff that I heard about, people who said, hey, isn't this a crazy story? That kind of thing. So, I have a list of topics I haven't touched on yet that's like pages long, so it's uh, you don't run out of stuff, let's put it that way. The requirements are, it needs to be an epic story that makes you go like, oh damn, I can't believe that happened. Um, Ideally, there are strong characters because stories are easier to follow if you have strong characters to identify with. And there need to be enough sources because sometimes you have a great story, but there's so little historically that you finish talking about it in 10 minutes because there's nothing more to say past that point. That, of course, is a problem if I want to do a two-hour episode or more. So, yeah, those are
1: the requirements. So, I have an idea, a a collaborative idea for you, if you're open to it, and I'll put it out in the universe. uh, Have you thought about doing the history of cannabis and prohibition of cannabis? Definitely, definitely
2: uh i actually there's a friend of mine was like researching some stuff because he was like oh, i'm gonna send you some notes of what i have i want to show you because yeah i mean definitely i think that's a fantastic topic both as uh cannabis historically like the use of the plant and then bringing it back to more modern days and the laws affecting uh kind uh, of definitely else, yeah. a fascinating topic and all of that so yeah i would love to there's a there are many well i wouldn't say there are many but there are some books that are well done on this um there's one that i remember enjoying when it comes more to the more prohibition part of it where it was um i want to say eric schlosser the same guy who did the um, fast food nation had done one called the reef madness and it was about um he was about kind of the illegal economy so he was talking about one section was about porn was one was about cannabis and i forgot the third one but uh, as an interesting book that was pretty cool that gave me some ideas and then you know there's some other stuff out there but usually you know not to indulge in stereotypes most people who uh, are fascinated with weed are not exactly the most rigorous scholars all the time (laughs) Sometimes it's uh, well, you it, know
1: it, I I wrote a book on cannabis and I'm a I'm a enthusiast it's called Making Cannabis Personal shameless plug for myself so uh, I'll be happy to send you it, it'll be some reference material but I I'm serious if you if you want to get into that uh, topic I actually lectured on this in several universities before too and I'm super super fascinated because the his not only the history of the use of the plant but the history of prohibition is super fascinating. And even today, I, I know this is going to be aired later, but you know, Biden coming out and uh, you know saying that uh, we we forgive everybody we locked up for cannabis, but we will make no changes in the actual federal law is sort of a hypocritical backhanded slap in the face of everybody uh, peddling for votes. Uh, based on a lame duck midterm election and everybody and all the, my colleagues in the industry, everybody's posting and clapping and saying, wow, what a wonderful thing he just did. And I'm like,
2: nothing happened. Uh, That's like Bill Clinton. I smoke, but I didn't inhale kind of stuff. Or, or even if you want to talk about legislation, it's kind of like his don't ask, don't tell policy of gay in the military, which is ridiculously hypocritical. It's at least a step which later led to better legislation. So it's a very small step. So I can see why somebody would go like, eh, better than no step or a step backward. Yeah. But yeah, it's not exactly much of a step. Yeah,
1: it's it's a step. And look, Clinton, you know, different different times call for different things, and the I didn't inhale, all that stuff. We all we all know that's a bunch of bullshit. I think worse is Obama inhaling. Then coming out and starting to shut down and locking people up for cannabis, which was the most hypocritical thing uh, back in like, a, you know, the, around 2010 uh, before the Cole memo came out.
2: So, and, and the thing that I found insane about it is that at least back in the day, like even if you go back to Clinton days, public opinion was still. More for marijuana prohibition than for legalization. So I can see that as a politician, they were like, regardless of what I think, this is what I got to say if I want to be reelected. Shady, but I get it. By 2010, public opinion has already changed. Like by then, not only you are hypocritical, but on top of it, you are stupid too. Because the reality is that you become a hero to a lot of people whose votes you would not have otherwise. Because there are a bunch of people who not vote for you. I mean, right now, whoever would push hard for marijuana legalization at a federal level would get a ton of votes on left and right. So it's one of those things that is like, how are you such an idiot that if you are a politician today, you do not see that that's, even if you are a complete scumbag and all you care about is your own self-interest, that's the thing to do. And they still don't get it. Or maybe they do get it, but there are interests that's well, that's, the way. that's
1: what I was going to say. I mean, you're absolutely right. There's a bipartisan push on legalization of cannabis, but there is still this whole thing with uh, you know lobby groups. And if you look at where tobacco, alcohol, and pharma is pushing, they're not into legalization unless they can somehow financially benefit from that. So, you know, yes, the tobacco industry is moving into this space because they're converting their crops to hemp. Well, under you know the uh, the hemp uh bill fine uh pharma tried to synthesize and create these synthetic marinol etc without very with with hardly any success whatsoever but they do have a product past the FDA Epidiolex, uh for by GW pharmaceuticals again acquired by jazz so there's a path there right alcohol I mean it's pretty you know like let's let's Get rid of prohibition and do the same thing that alcohol uh, industry did after prohibition uh, ended, where they have this, uh, you know, state uh, to state uh, transport distribution. Uh, there's jobs, there's banking, all that created. But you know, that's yep. that's yep. that's an area of uh, for them uh, to be able to, you know, probably the next administration will focus a little bit more on that. But I completely agree with you. If they just come out and say that, uh, I think it's a, it's a no brainer to win. Yeah. Um, do you have a certain health regimen that you like to follow? What do you what do you do to stay healthy?
2: Um, you know, that's one of the mysteries because I was actually talking about it more in terms of mental health than physical right now. But it's funny because I hear almost unfeelingly, I hear stories of people who find something that works for them in a way that's like, my life sucked, and then I did this one thing and it changed my life and it's great and it's wonderful. And I'm so I mean, on one hand, I guess I'm envious because it sounds so simple when you find it's like, whoa, that one thing changed everything. I had, I've tried 10 million things that people swear by as far as changing their life. And the best I have, a 2% improvement, where it's like, eh, okay, that was nice. That's At least it didn't take me back. It's like the equivalent of the Biden speech, right? It's like, okay, well, that's nice. but uh, and um, But I still... The sum of it all, or who knows, luck, or something, stuff has changed in my life where I have, I have seen uh, good results. But they haven't been something where I'm like, oh, clearly, if you do A, B, and C, boom, this is going to do it so for are, you. Are
1: you referring more to mental or physical health or both?
2: In this case, more mental. But the two are heavily related. At least in my case, a lot of physical issues that I've had to deal with are very psychosomatic. They were dealing with grief. They were dealing with uh Yeah, for sure. So the two were very related. Yeah, I I
1: just I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I I believe, look, you know, I've I've talked and and witnessed many times people that have done, you know, treatments with uh, uh, DMT, like uh, ayahuasca type of things, ketamine. Uh, MDMA, psilocybin. I work with uh, you know veterans and the, there's a bunch during COVID that were committing suicide and they have discovered psilocybin has been like a godsend to them. But it's not just one thing. Like you have to reintegrate. What, what it, It's sort of like maybe the analogy is like you're, you're going along a path. Somebody grabs you and shakes you for a second, says, hey, 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 there's another path over here. But you can't, it's not just taking a pill and saying, okay, now I'm going to follow this path without stepping into potholes. There are still potholes along the way. So I believe there is a combination of physical and mental, like, you know, cannabis is one of those things. I don't know how you feel uh, about that as well, but it's not the only thing, right? It's 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 a way to be able, and, and then finding something that works for you on a personal basis. So it doesn't exacerbate some of those negative adverse effects like having those stress reactivity and, and, and traumatic events. Also, same thing with ketamine. Like I've known people that had tr- dramatic, dramatic improvements using ketamine as a therapeutic. However, after some time, they sort of start re- regressing back. So you need to reintegrate and continue. Maybe it's cognitive therapy. Maybe it's, you know what, I'm going to cut out sugar in my life. And now I'm going to start working out and feeling better about my health. Now my physical health is improving my mental health and all these things. So I, I definitely agree with you uh, on that. Um, is, is cannabis something that you've uh, implemented into your uh, uh, like health and wellness uh, regimen? Yeah, I mean, i
2: always, uh, I think I had a rather different experience from you early on because like the first time I smoked, I was uh, 11 years old with my mom and uh, we had a joint together and i thought it was the coolest thing ever but at the same time you know my mom was like look um some things are just flat out bad you know math there's no good use of math you know what i mean that's just bad period a lot of things are good or bad depending on how you use them same as alcohol same as you know there are a bunch of things that if you use it within certain amounts in certain contexts are okay if you don't, so in a paradoxical kind of way, you know, my mom had me share a few puffs of a joint with her when I was 11, but was very strongly anti smoking cigarettes at a time when everybody I knew within a few years started smoking cigarettes. So every kid in my high school would smoke. I didn't, and partially it was because my mom was like, Look, I'm not telling you no just because, you know, there are, i let you do shit that other parents don't let them do. At the same time, when I tell you that something is unhealthy, maybe pay attention that i'm not saying it just because i want to bust your balls but for real and you know, you want to smoke a cigarette once in a million years because for fun sure you want to make it a daily habit no that fucks you up that's terrible for you and here is why and so you know i found that uh, helpful um and so cannabis for me has always been something that um and also i should separate because cannabis is smoking great i never had a bad experience Cannabis, edible, I never had a good experience. Well, I know sure. why.
1: <laughs> uh,
2: but yeah,
1: I mean, so that's- it's, it's it's such a good point you bring up. Method of consumption, dosing. I People need to understand that when you consume a drug, it's a drug. There is a change in your body and how you consume it, how much you consume it, and what it is that you put in your body changes. It doesn't matter if it's cannabis or anything else. It's definitely a good point. How do you... you uh, would you have the same sort of conversation with your kids
2: about, uh, you know, cannabis? I, I would like to inform you, my dear sir, that under the laws of the United States government, such a thing is extremely legal. So as a very law-abiding citizen, never would I have dreamed to do such a thing. <laughs> right. But
1: conversation-wise, would you have a conversation about cannabis yeah. and, the, and how... how good or bad or, or indifferent in it is versus, you know, cigarettes or versus alcohol and stuff?
2: Anything. To me, any converse like you have a conversation about, like to me, I never understood the way people talk to their kids sometimes, talk to their kids like they are stupid. I'm a big fan of the idea that kids will be very much respond to the way you treat them. So if you give them, if you trust them, if you build the idea that you have a relationship built on trust, they will respond that way they will listen to you a hundred times better than if you come down hard on them with, uh, but you know, a lot of these also is tricky because it's not just to oh, let them do stuff. No, it's also, you need to build a degree of trust that just because you don't put strict rules, if they don't trust you or they don't trust you to a certain level, it's not going to lead to good results. So it's a little trickier than uh, strict rules or no strict rules. It's really about the, the relationship you develop. Yeah I,
1: yeah. I completely agree with you on this. Um, I have one rule. My daughter's almost 18. And since she was little, I said only one thing. We tell the truth, whatever it is, whatever it is, and I can get mad and I'm sorry, I will get mad sometimes, but we'll deal with it. But I, but, but there's no punishment. I don't, I'm not a big fan of punishment because my, I I just think of what my parents did and I try to do sort of the, the opposite and really, my dad wasn't happy when I told him that, but I'm like, it's the truth. So it's about, it's about telling the truth and dealing with the situation, even though I can be reactive and it sucks that this happened, but we'll deal with it. But if you're going to lie to me, that's a whole different yeah. thing.
2: Now we have a problem. Yeah. Now, of course, I mean, that's kind of the conversation I had with my daughter. She was, she was dying about anything. He's like, look, we have the exact same goals because I want you to be healthy and I want you to be happy. And I know you want to be healthy and you want to be happy. So once we are in perfect agreement, as far as goals go, the only thing we may have disagreements are strategies, but strategies are, I'm not married to one strategy. If you convince me that a certain approach is better, I'll go with it. And if uh, I still don't think so, and I only care for you being healthy and happy, maybe, maybe let it roll in your head. That there's a reason why I'm a little skeptical of a certain strategy. Good point. No, it's a good and thing. it becomes a discussion, you know, it becomes uh, an open discussion where it's like, well, here is why I don't think it's a good idea. Or is it why I think it is? And, and you can go back and forth.
1: Yeah, I, I love that approach because, you know, growing up, and my parents are from the old country and all that stuff. It's like, why? Well, because we told you so. And with your parents, and I always like, well, no, let's discuss this. And there was no discussion. So having, and I found it really, really enlightening. The the way that my daughter approaches these situations and it makes me think I'm like, you know what? You're right. You have a point. And I had never had a point with my parents. It just wasn't it. I I was like, I always like to argue and and how dare I argue back because, you know, we're the parents. You're the child kind
2: of thing. So I I definitely... We only establish a relationship where the second they turn their back, you do whatever, because they didn't convince you. You know, they didn't convince you that something is good or bad with good evidence. They just did it with authoritarian... Exactly. ...on the table. So of course, it's, it's only based on fear. The second I can get away with it, I'll do whatever I want. It's because I think they
1: came from communist Soviet Union
2: that's the way no, no, understandable. many people are raised that way even without coming from communist soviet union you know what i mean it's like a lot of people are raised with that approach and i don't think it works because ultimately that's why kids rebel eventually because they you didn't turn their trust deep down and i think that's uh that's the, like i i remember with my daughter when she was little with uh cursing or cussing you know it's a she i was like look say whatever you all the hell you want when you're at home but if uh, you do it in front of kids you're gonna have problems because you're gonna get parents unhappy you're gonna have your teachers unhappy you're gonna create so do not do that around other kids if you have that maturity then you can do whatever you want at home if you don't have that maturity then i have to treat you like a little kid and give you the rules and this and that and she never messed that up and now when like kids are age or 13 they're like Ultra vulgar in every possible scenario. My daughter is kind of not only she's over it, but it's kind of like, oh my god, this is like a six-year-old. Come on, it's like, what the hell is this? And and so, if anything, you by giving more freedom, paradoxically, you can create an environment where they don't feel the need to go as far as a bunch of other kids. Yeah, go. you're you're absolutely
1: absolutely right. So uh, there was a my daughter was in preschool, and they had to do this poster about like their favorite things and everything. Like this is my favorite movie. This is my favorite food. This is my favorite dessert. And she had my favorite song was Jay-Z's 99 Problems. And I don't believe in censorship. So I never censor, we can listen, whatever. And I got called in the school and they were like, well, this is inappropriate for a kid. I said, well, it's appropriate for my kid because it's music and the words and we discuss the words that are being said. So yeah, it's, uh, I, I completely agree. I mean, it's, it's open to interpretation, but censorship is something I do not believe in. So what's your, what's your goal? Like with what you're doing, like, what are your future goals? What do you want to achieve? Is it more books? Is it, is it a podcast
2: lectures?
1: Is it TV? Like what are some of your goals?
2: I think, um, you know, I'm teaching because it pays the bills and it's fun enough and it's safe. Uh, But in terms of creativity, I'm rebuilding because, you know, I had a history on fire because it did so well for a while. Was then ended up behind a paywall where a company called Luminaria kind of bought the podcast for three years. Now I'm done with it. So I'm back in all uh, free feeds everywhere. So I'm sort of rebuilding history on fire I'm currently writing a historical fiction book, and I would love to do that more and more like finish this one and then continue because I have a blast writing. It's a different form of storytelling. You know, I love podcasting, but there's something about writing that I particularly love. So I want to keep doing that. And then if any of that can turn into TV or something, great. That word is messier because it's so much, you know, writing. It's you and publisher. There's some people involved, but not as many. TV or movies. The number of people involved grows exponentially, and of course, the potential for things to go wrong increases accordingly. But you know that would be fun if uh, it could work. But definitely podcasting and writing, and then let's see where that comes. Yeah, go. you're you're
1: you're you're sort of in charge of your own destiny, and then other than that, whatever happens happens with that. I, I, I I have the same kind of trajectory with that. Okay. So I have a few questions that I ask all my guests uh, towards uh, the end. You kind of answered my first question because I always ask people uh, who are open to it to describe their first experience with cannabis. You already told uh, your experience with the... So we'll get into music since I'm a, I'm a big music guy. Uh, do you remember the very first concert that you attended?
2: Uh, hard to tell because my dad, especially when I was a tiny, he was writing a lot about music. So he took me to a Zillion concert when I was really little. And one that you remember? One that I remember being like my first concert. Not like I'm going along with my dad. I remember in junior high. I think I went. To see, I think the first one I went to see on my own with my friends was I went to see Prince, who was touring in Italy at the time. So and I think we went two years in a row. So, so that was fun. That's,
1: that's fun. hard. That's a hard one to com- compare to later on because uh, Prince puts on a or put on a hell of a show. Uh, do you remember what the very first like album you bought yourself was?
2: Uh, no, I don't, because I think so much of it is, is my dad had so much music at home that I don't really remember what I bought. What I was uh, it's kind of all fuzz in there.
1: Do you, do you remember the, what was the last concert you attended?
2: Ah, uh, let's see. What did I go see? It wasn't that long ago, I think. Uh, oh, well, during COVID, we actually got to see what was funny in the car. It was like one of that's, those that's driving concerts, with but uh, it was also Matley, and I like those guys a lot. They are awesome. Um, what else have I seen more recently? uh i'm blanking out there's something that i've seen not that long ago that was a lot of fun oh you know what i got invited there's a friend of mine played at the hollywood bowl he um he opened for john Fogerty, um cedric burnside he won for best blues album of the year. he won a grammy now he's the grandson of um, rl burnside uh, god of blues He's also fantastic. And uh, and it was great because we got to have sort of the backstage tour. We got to go to the green room and go to the Hollywood Bowl before everybody shows up. Um, it's pretty funny, too, because um, my daughter is a pretty killer singer. And she, as we were walking around and she was so happy to get the experience, at one point she turns to me and she goes like, yeah, I think about 10 years. And I was like, huh? And she's like yeah until i'm playing here i'm like okay yes i love that Right? it's beautiful How do you feel that way <laughs> i
1: like that are you listening to anything nowadays that's interesting
2: yeah i mean my taste is rather eclectic to say the least so let me see like what songs did i recently add to my uh typical playlist so let's see what i got among the more recent one, I uh, did, well, I go back a lot. You know, sometimes I discover things from a while back. So I found um, there are quite a bit of blues I've been listening to that was awesome. I listened to uh, a little bit of social distortions so punk rock. Uh, Nina Simone is awesome, of course. There's a bunch of music that I dig that is like Mongolian music. Anything from. Uh, the who, but not as in W H O, but H U. They are fantastic. Tanger Cavalry is another like folk Mongolian metal. That's a pretty fun mix. Um, you know, I'm honest. I'm all over the place when it comes to um, when it comes to musical taste. I love that. Yeah, me too.
1: I see, like, I, I just saw the Scorpions, so I'm wearing a shirt, and uh, and then I'm going to see Ben Harper tonight in Ohio,
2: actually Man, I had breakfast with him once he's an awesome human being he um yeah we actually there's uh you may have heard of this guy too Mike Vallely Mike V he was a god of skateboarding and uh we were friends, and when they invited me to breakfast, and Ben Harper was there, and we chat together, and we had a blast. Ben Harper was great. I think actually, yeah, Ben Harper. I have a one-liner that he wrote for a book I did. Oh wow! Create your own religion. So he had this uh, sweet one-liner that he sent. The, I think I used it as a blurb or something. And uh, yeah, Ben Harper is awesome. Yeah, welcome out
1: fun. to Ojai. He's playing tonight.
2: He's in Ohio tonight at yeah, huh? the Libby
1: Bowl. That's very tempting. <laughs> I'll be there right after this. I'm on my way. It's going to take me two hours, but I'm going. All right. So final bonus question. Please describe what your room looked like growing up.
2: It's a mess. I've never been uh, very, my daughter still hates me for that. I'm not very orderly. meaning perfectly orderly to me. I find everything, but uh, yeah, stuff tends to go in every direction i didn't have a particularly big room but yeah he was a little on the messy
1: side any anything on the walls any posters any art anything distinctive
2: yeah like what did we wear on the wall let's see um, sometimes there were like movies posters or stuff like that but no i don't think i ever had that much on mainly movie stuff like
1: what kind of movies like hitchcock type of stuff or italian cinema
2: when I was a kid, I had this apocalypse now poster that was pretty badass I had these days is uh, my walls are a lot full i have a, i had a, I did a podcast once with Frank Frazetta's granddaughter and uh, she gave me a ton of the reproduction of her grandfather's uh, artwork which is incredible and uh, he's such a phenomenal painter of course I love Caravaggio I've done a couple of uh, episodes on so i have a good chunk of caravaggio stuff and my lady also does a bunch of hard work and we have some pretty fun one there's uh, the one that i wake up to every day there's my all-time idol is this guy eq sojun who was a zen monk from the 1400s whose main passions were Saki, women and zen and so we have <laughs> these uh, she drew this image of EQ. He's drinking wine. Who's uh, a lady's pouring this wine down her body? He's falling off her boob, and he's drinking as he falls off her boob. That's what I wake up seeing every morning.
1: And he's meditating at the same time. Has molly beads in the other hand. <laughs> right. <laughs> that sounds good. All right, Anyali. Where can people contact you if you wanted to contact you or find you or uh, find your podcasts or your books? Any anything else you want to share?
2: So. Yeah, the more bigger one, History on Fire. You, find, I mean, both both of them, Drunken Taoist and History on Fire. You find the mono um, podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, pretty much. Um, I use Twitter. I use Facebook. If you figure out uh, the complicated spelling of my name, uh, then you're gonna find me all over in all of those places. But uh, I have an Instagram, but I don't use it that much. But you know, the usual stuff.
1: Great man. Thank you so much for had a lot of fun. Appreciate you being on. Thank you, thank you, thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name's Kate, and I'm your host of the Pop Moms Podcast. I started the Pop Moms Podcast, well, because I wanted to end the stigma against using cannabis, specifically with moms, but also anyone who chooses to consume. I strive for a balance of humor and education, along with some pretty rad guests, to help combat social biases that come with consuming cannabis. Kids are hard. Join me for regular podcast episodes packed with parenting hacks, real-life stories, and of course, my favorite cannabis products. The days are long, but the years are short, so roll another J and take a deep breath. Keep blazing and stay amazing!